Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good right. luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. I'm looking at a pretty amazing photograph here from the aftermath of yesterday's European under-18 1500 meters final in Hungary. Most of the scene looks like what you would expect. Bodies strewn around everywhere in exhaustion. Hard to tell most of them if they're devastated with how they ran or just too shattered to pick themselves up off the ground. But that's all in the background. In the front of the shot is race winner, 17-year-old Sarah Healy from Dublin, grinning broadly, giving a thumbs up, looking like she's just finished a casual jog around the Phoenix Park, or a little warm down maybe, rather than, you know, completing a 1,500, 3,000 metre double at the European Championships, which is what she had just done. Hello and welcome to Monday Second Camps Podcast. Hi Murph. Hello there, Owen. It's a wonderful photograph and well done to Phelan Kelly for snapping it. Mm-hmm. Almost as cool as a video of Sonia Sullivan cheering her daughter Sophie on as she won silver in the 800 metres. I don't know if you've seen this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Apparently it doesn't matter if you've seen it all and won it all yourself mm. as an athlete watching your daughter competing for medals at this sort of a level will reduce you to a nervous wreck yeah. I think uh, it's one of those situations where the more you know the more things you have to yeah, worry about yeah, yeah, yeah. you're, you're an expert in it, it. Yeah, I yeah, just yeah. feel like well try and finish in the top three yeah. Sophie let's go uh, Sophie whereas, makes her break and you can see Sonia saying no she's gone no don't go to her no yeah. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's uh, literally running it uh, <laughs> running it uh, in your own head a thousand times as I well was watching your daughter run it just once add to that a gold medal for Rashida Adeleke in the 200 metres and you could say these European championships have been an exciting glimpse into what the future might hold for Irish athletics you know how excitable I get though Murph I feel like it's the here and now we're ready to dominate in the next few years forget Europe forget underage mm. world Olympics, you know, tons of gold medals are going away. It just seems like there's a lot of pain coming down the track there. If ah, that's how you do it. But uh, it was it. a pretty amazing weekend. Uh, we don't need to extrapolate out and start planning what particular <laughs> Olympic gold medals. Okay, focus on what happened this weekend. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Deborah is going to tell us if all this success was expected, and maybe a little bit about where it might all lead. And we're going to take our annual deep dive into what's wrong with Cork football mm. as part of our chat with Oisín and Michael Foley. Quite a bit, on if you were watching on Saturday. Oof, yeah, not great. The big story for the rest of the week will be England at the World Cup. You probably know by now that Ken feels the haters of the England football team actually owe it to England to keep on hating so that they, England, 
can gain full satisfaction from their ultimate victory. You know, like that scene from Conan the Barbarian that Ken has been quoting from. We've won again! This is good, but what is best in life? The open step, fleet horse, falcons at your wrist, and the wind in your hair. Wrong! Conan, what is best in life? To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of your women. That is good. That is good. Good actor, that lad. Whatever happened to him? Oh, he's still cruising around on. Still. Making waves. Yeah. Desperate for uh, <laughs> relevance mm. as the uh, recent governor of California. Willing and crushing. That's only the second weirdest thing that's happened in the last 15 years of American politics. <laughs> that is quite something to think about, though, isn't it, really? Will. Conan the Barbarian <laughs> was what's governor of California. And Nobody bats an eye that at it now. Yeah. Anyway, listen. Probably on with the sport. Who though. knows, are England going to crush our enemies or not? But we will be having a lot of fun talking about them all week on the World Service as they zero in on a World Cup final, potentially. You can join up now on secondcaptains.com for only a five or a month plus VAT to hear our daily World Cup podcasts. And let's not get ahead of ourselves or anything, but Irish Athletics does appear to be on the verge of a period of world domination. There, I've said it, Dervil O'Rourke, and nothing you can say is going to dampen down the hype. Oh, no, I'm going to be the person that, like rains in your parade no it's a uh, really good really really positive you know I think it's such a talented group of athletes that are coming through and also it's quite diverse you know the different different events that we're doing and stuff so it, it is really really exciting but I would just always have a word of caution in that it's just a really tough transition so on, on the one hand you're like you want to really celebrate what they're doing because you can only live in the now but on the other hand you know you have to kind of be cautious about their futures and not put too much pressure on them. Yeah, I do remember, I think it was, um, must have been around when Gina Akpa-Moses was winning last year that you, you, you sounded a similar note of caution not to get too ahead of ourselves. But it is great just to celebrate these achievements uh, as standalone achievements for the time being. I would Obviously, people look at this from outside and maybe it comes as a bit of a shock, but within the athletics world, are results like this um, expected, these, these medals at these underage championships? What's slightly unusual for this is the amount of medals at one championship. Like over the years, we've actually been really good at meddling underage, but generally it will be one, maybe two medals, a couple of finalists. So you're showing a lot of promise. So for this, I think just the sheer volume of them, this is the highest up we've ever been on a medal table at any level. So I think it's just the depth has been really phenomenal. But, you know, it says a lot about our club structure in Ireland. Like in athletics, we have this, amazing club structure that's all volunteer based and all these athletes are coming out of that they're coming out of like little clubs all over the country with volunteer coaches and those are really strong and you can't underestimate those so I think for them it's actually brilliant to see that sort of success and I'd say there'll be plenty good party nights now in clubs and athletics clubs around the country yeah well deserved um yeah for, for putting that kind of work in uh, Sarah Healy I guess was the is the standout here with a double gold over 1500 meters and 3000 meters uh, I read somewhere that she wasn't even intending to run I think it was the 3000 meters but she she ran them both and won them both yeah. well she seems you know she seems pretty dominant super dominant she actually demolished the field in the 1500 meters um, it was incredible. I was watching it here last night. She's really, really gifted. Um, I think she's got a really good structure around her with her parents and with her coach. And it's just, yeah, it, it's like she was the distant star of this European Championships and definitely a name to watch. And, you know, I think we're always looking for 
the next Sonia and anytime anybody shows any sort of form and distance females we always think oh my god is this the next Sonia but Sonia was such a phenomenal talent but um yeah she it's it's incredible the times she's doing the range she has she can go from 800 you know the whole way up to 3000 and she's actually could pro like I was looking at the stats here for under 20 and she could probably hold her own really well here um which is really impressive so she just has such a range and that shows you know she's got speed she's got endurance very very exciting you just want to wrap her in cotton wool well what 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 is the best pathway from here you know there's talk that the, the american colleges want to give her scholarships which i'm sure they probably do but that she's going to stay home and and study and uh, compete uh, over here in ireland is is there an obvious pathway to develop somebody that talented like that doesn't this doesn't come along very often and to have them compete at a similar level on, on the world stage you know, the simple answer actually is that there isn't a really standard pathway. Like there's loads of different ways to skin a cat. If you if you look at eight finalists in an event in athletics, they'll all have gotten there in a completely different way, but it'll have worked for them. So for her, she has to figure out like what works for her. I think something that will become extremely important is you, people not people not getting too complicated with her training i think you keep the training really simple and you just have the target that you try and avoid getting injured by keeping it simple not going too heavy on training load and the other side of it that i think is really important when you're that good is having a really good mentor i mean surely someone like sonia sullivan would be a phenomenal mentor for her because she's been there she's done that and i think if you get those two things right whether that's her being in college in america and they're cautious on her training load or whether that's her being in UCD it's really the same thing it's you just have to kind of mind her to a certain extent and not burnout is kind of what you worry about with young athletes so it's um I think right now I think she's saying that you know she'd like to stay at home which it's working so why not um but at the same time you know I think you have to look at every option and if there's all these american colleges want to talk to her i'm absolutely sure they do i'd say every american mm. college wants to talk to her i think having those conversations is no harm either because it's sort of opening yourself up to seeing other things and seeing what's out there and i think she should have those conversations with her parents and with her coach with other places and just see everything before she makes her decision but it will be a big decision but I think Athletics Ireland can really help her manage that with maybe maybe engaging Sonia or somebody to mentor her well, I suppose the surprise result certainly a surprise to the athlete herself seemed to be Rashida Adelaki she's um, one of these athletes now it particularly seems to be the case with the, with female athletes there seem to be uh, a lot of young girls coming through who uh, whose parents came over from Nigeria and elsewhere Nigeria in this case and uh, you know she grows up here and is obviously uh, competing unbelievably well she says that uh, this is at the 200 meters she said I knew I could go fast but not that fast to come out with the goal is crazy yeah she's really special she's um she's the type of person that would make me really excited obviously I'm a little bit biased towards speed events um she's a real competitor and that's outside of the fact that obviously she's really talented and gifted she's really really competitive it's funny she says she was surprised I would have talked to people who are involved with her training before it and they expected big things from her. Um, you know, they may not have been articulating that to her, but right. she's she's really she's just really special. Um, what is it about? You, you say her competitiveness. How does that stand out compared to? Because I would have thought most uh, teenagers competing at this level, you know, are, are highly competitive. 
Yeah, I think there's a difference between you're competitive, but see, most teenagers that are at championships like this, there's not a huge amount between a lot of them outside of, you know, the Sarah Healy's of the world who can just demolish everyone right now. But I think there's the people who stand on the start line and they just desperately want to win. Um, and they're just competitive animals. Like they're the people that we always get excited about that you think they'll kind of they just go to a different place mentally. And I think she's one of those people. And somebody had said it to me, you know, in recent months, you know, she does a little bit of work in the Sport Ireland Institute. And there was someone there who had said, you know, this girl, you'll like this girl because she is just really competitive. And, you know, I think it's a hard one to describe. It's kind of like the X factor in an athlete. And actually, funnily enough, in this championship, sometimes I'm almost happier when they finish kind of fourth, fifth, sixth, because mm-hmm. there's not the same pressure on them. But then when you see them showing that, that actually they went on the start line, they weren't necessarily the favorite, but they just wanted to win. You get excited about that too. So you just hope she can continue it through. But I think physically she's very gifted from what I hear. She's not training a huge amount. Her training load is quite low. And yeah, she's she's just a winner. And also she really impressed me in all of her post-race interviews. Actually, most of the Irish athletes out there did. I thought they were really, um, really good, actually, really media savvy, which is not something I would have been as a junior. What, what do you mean by media savvy? We just got a sense it was a good join us out of it. Yeah, like as in they were um, happy to answer questions about their running and to take ownership of their running. Sometimes over the years, you know, you hear athletes saying, oh, well, you know, maybe I didn't do this and almost making excuses, but actually they were all, even the ones that didn't perform that well, I thought, I I thought they were, they actually thought they just did really well for themselves. Um, But also I think part of that was, I think athletics aren't have managed that well and that Phelan Kelly, who was interviewing all of them, would know the athletes really well. He's a big athletics guy. And I think that was really good to have at that age because all of this is like a learning process. You said Rashida's training load is quite low. I presume you mean yeah. this is a positive thing. And I asked that because... Really positive. Yeah, I, I see Sarah Healy is um, still playing hockey, for example. So it's not like this, that, uh, that you know, you just go and you run as fast and as hard as you can in your teenage years nonstop. But I suppose there does come a time where you have to step up the load and you maybe have to drop, unfortunately, you do have to drop these other uh, hobbies. Yeah, you do. I mean, I would have played hockey till I was 16. Right. Um, specialization early is not something any of us really want for young athletes there used to be a kind of training thought years back I suppose when I was competing that that was a good thing um but my parents were just never into me specializing young so I didn't do it and I think now actually more people want them to be doing just doing other stuff and being a bit more rounded but yet there's there comes a point then though where and that's sort of why the transition can be quite difficult where you go to college and maybe you get a scholarship and you're essentially kind of being being supported to be there for your talent and f- to perform and then everything the load increases so it's managing that increase on load and you know that development like they're teenagers you know so they have a lot of physical development still to come so it's managing their way through that is is just a really really important phase but i'm always way more excited about athletes that I actually love looking at athletes that are young, that are at the track, that are a bit useless at everything. And then they race and they're just so competitive and want to win. And they're just raw, like raw talent at that age is superb. You've brought up Sonia's name a couple of times. There's always been, mm. as you say, a lot of pressure. Everyone looking for the new Sonia. Now now one might be coming from within her own family. I do I do always get a little bit worried. Like you, you see, it's uh, Sophie O'Sullivan's name. Her daughter, she won a silver in the 800 metres. And she gave really nice interviews afterwards as well. But you, 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 know, you can see it's all so new to her and she's got that name um, which which is a blessing obviously but could be a bit of a curse in terms of the pressure that it's going to bring. It's interesting because um, 
Sonia, I've always asked Sonia about Sophie over the years because I've always known that, you know, Sonia has two daughters, um, Kira and Sophie, and I knew Kira wasn't really into athletics, and I always knew Sophie was. So I've always asked her every year. I said, oh, how's Sophie doing? And Sonia is as low-key about her. She's always <laughs> said, grand, yeah. And I'm like, oh, like, is she running fast? Are you sure she's enjoying it? <laughs> and it's re- it's re- it's always been really funny that she's been so low-key about her. And then last season was the first season where I got a bit of a sense of, okay, I think Sophie might be a bit special because she ran at the Cork City Sports and I think she won there in a junior event. And I was chatting to her with Sonia afterwards and she was just, she's very low-key, very humble. I suppose when you grow up and your mum is that big a deal and, you know, they live in Australia and she's obviously really well known there. I think um, I think they'll manage it really well. I don't think, you know, Nick Badeau is, is her dad and Sonia's husband and Nick has managed and coached some of the absolute best athletes in the world. So she's from such athletic stock and they know this world better than anybody. So I think what actually I was laughing at was the video of Sonia watching Sophie because she was obviously watching as a mum, totally not watching as Sonia Sullivan, the phenomenal athlete. Like it was such a mum watching the race that I actually really enjoyed that. But I think I I, I actually wouldn't be that worried about it. I, I just because I know how. Sonia is about her and I know how Nick would be because I've chatted to Nick a few times as well about Sophie and they're just very much mum and dad about it but at the same time having this great understanding of what this athletics world is because it's a highly competitive ruthless environment you know. Well then just to heap a little bit more pressure on Sophie uh, are there any similar attributes in terms of running style that you can see between herself and her mother? God, I was actually watching and trying to figure that out. Um, going, how much does she look like um, a young Sonia? I don't. I see. I haven't seen that much coverage of Sonia when she was, you know, as a junior. Sure. And I think you get stronger as you get older, so your technique gets a bit. Um, it gets just gets a bit better, and you flow a little bit better. But to me, I look at her and I just think she's the head off Sonia running down the track with the long legs and the whole lot. So. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, she's. I think she should be probably quite thankful for her genetics. You mentioned that you're at the under-20, the world under-20s. Yes. Um, well, have you got much of an Irish challenge for this one? Are the good times going to keep on rolling? This starts tomorrow? Yeah, we've got um, Gene Apkamos is in the 100 yeah. metres. It is, I've done my research and my homework on this. It's absolutely stacked. It's going to be super quick. There's an American girl that's gone sub 11 seconds, which is just outrageously fast for her. I think if she could make a final, it would be a really, really big achievement. Um, we have had finalists at World Juniors before. I think Emily Mara made a final a good while back, maybe in 2000. So for Gina to make a final, I'd be really excited for her. Um, there's a girl, Patterson, in the 400. She's run 52 high, which is really, really good. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing her run. I haven't seen her in person. But the thing I'm the most excited about for the Irish team is the girls' 4 by one relay because you have the two girls coming in from the under-18s. Then you have Gina Apkamoses. And I would imagine, but they haven't announced the team yet, Kira Neville will be fourth. And, you know, we all would have heard of Kira Neville breaking records last year's indoor season. So she's a really talented Limerick athlete. So that 4 by one could actually surprise people and they've been training together which is hard to get athletes training together for relays but they've done a few sessions I spoke to their coach yesterday so that'll be on the last day I think on Sunday Yeah Rashida uh, Adeleke who we talked about won the 200 metres she, she's going over for the world for the under 20s and 
you said a couple of them are going over. I think it's Patience Jumbo Gula is also making that trip. She finished fifth in the 100 metres final, which was a bit of a disappointment. She, she had run very well earlier in the week, but uh, coming fifth, was, she seemed very disappointed with. Yeah, the rain came down hard for the final. And also, you know, standing on the start line for a final of a European Championships is intimidating and it's a lot of pressure. And I would imagine that she felt that a little bit. I think she said afterwards she felt her start wasn't good. And when you're running 100 metres, you have 11 seconds. If the start isn't good, it's really, really hard to bring that back. Also, when you're a bit younger, you're not as experienced, you're not as calm in those situations. So for me, she is an outrageous talent. She's so, so good. And I think actually she'll be really hungry from this. Um, I think she was bitterly disappointed. But also, you know, she's best mates with Rashida. So I think she was actually really, really excited for her. And I think that will spur her on because that's the other thing, you know, success breeds success. When you're in a team like that and you see your friends winning a medal, you're really happy, but you kind of want a medal too. So for me, it's great just coming out here to the kind of world under 20s. This environment is extremely competitive. You know, you have the American teams, the Jamaican teams, and I think she'll grow a lot from this. And I think those girls in the 4 by one can put in a really good performance and I hope they surprise a few people. Okay, well, we'll keep a lid on the hype, Derva, but it is very exciting times. It's good to see so many, so many youngsters going so well. And listen, enjoy the week in Finland. Sounds great. Thanks a million. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Richie Sadler's here, Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? How are you, lads? Richie, how are you, lads? How are you doing this week? I'm marvellous. Look at the joy on my face. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? <laughs> no, really. You know, what happened? When John was young, everyone in the city knew about it, but no one had seen it. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. Got an email from Chris Jackson entitled Ireland's Fastest Man versus Ireland's Fastest Rugby Player. This is one and the same person, by the way, that he's talking about here. One and the same young man. Hi all. Given the momentous achievements of the young Irish athletes at the weekend's European Under-18 Championship, I figure the present and future state of Irish athletics may be high on your agenda this week. Given that, I'd like to point you to young Aaron Sexton. Last month, the 17-year-old Bangor native broke the Irish schoolboy record for the 100 metres, clocking a very, very, very swift 10.52, which, to put it in perspective, would have been fast enough to claim gold at the last Youth Olympics in 2014. But Sexton isn't just a sprinter. These bloody young sports people. There's another sport coming up now, isn't there? He's amazing at some other sports. Sarah Heady, great at hockey. Disgusting. It's it's a disgrace. Really, they should have to specialize so that they don't ruin the other sports for all the other people. Not so they can get better, just so we can feel better about (laughs) ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Sexton is a sprinter. He also plays in the wing for the Irish schoolboys rugby team. There you go. To give you a measure of how fast he may one day be in the rugby pitch, Sexton's 10.52 seconds is faster than what Carlin Isles is. Carlin Isles, yep, the so-called fastest man in rugby, ran when he was 17. And that guy's quick. You know, the fastest man in rugby. I think We've Sexton's, all seen the YouTube clips. Yeah. He is, he's got some gas. I think Sexton's outrageous talents may lead to a dilemma, though. If he continues to progress on the track, he'll not only threaten Paul Hessian's Irish 100-meter 100 100, re, record, 10.18, but he could get close to the 10-second barrier as well. He's faster at his age than some others who went on to crack it. But for Sexton to do so, he'll likely have to give up any chance of turning out for Ireland in rugby. I don't believe this is a question that any Irish sportsman has ever faced before, and it's not likely one that will happen again anytime soon. Regards from Chris. Yeah, I know what you mean. People have chosen. Hickey runs like Lynn for Christie. Between sports. See, Hickey runs like Lynn for Christie. Dennis Hickey chose rugby. That's the point that Chris is making here. So maybe people do have faced that dilemma. 
Victor Costello chose rugby over the shot put. It's usually rugby that gets the nod. But this well, kid he, he is went so to the fast. Olympics with the shot put first and then chose rugby, which I suppose he went is a long way there. Yeah, something. I don't know if you can quite go that far in two mm. different codes now at this stage. But the, there's a decision to be made there for young. What's his yeah. name again? See the weird Aaron thing, Sexton. Yeah. See the weird thing is, you would say two totally different body shapes required. But I grew up watching Donovan Bailey. You know. Uh, oh no, sprinters. Or he's green. Sprinters are built like brick. You know what? Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, maybe you could. You know, I mean, in the off season, <laughs> the like three week off season that now constitutes the rugby off season, you could, uh, you know, try and break the uh, ten second barrier maybe in those three weeks. Maybe who knows? Murph, we're going to talk football now in a second, but Galway answered a lot of questions against Kilkenny in the hurling yesterday. They sure did. On uh, that twenty minutes at the start of the game was about the best twenty minutes hurling I've ever seen from a goaler hurling team. I would say one nine to point up after I think it was nineteen minutes actually. Uh, and yet at the same time the rest of the game still panned out kind of how you'd have expected it to pan out uh, you knew that Gullick couldn't keep up that sort of uh, pace and you also knew that Kilkenny were going to by hook or by crook get back into it um, so that's kind of what is so pleasing from a Gullick perspective about it I think that Gullick went and won it and then won it again uh, when it needed winning in the last uh, 15 minutes or so but I did actually think Galway were going to win it by six or seven points. Uh, because just looking at the, the the drawn game, Kilkenny couldn't have played a whole lot better. Galway, in ways, couldn't have played a whole lot worse. And that's what we saw pan out yesterday. That you know, that Kilkenny will play to that level near enough every day they go out. Like that, like they are an unbelievably durable team that show up and you know they're an eight and a half, nine out of ten for their performance level every day. Like, it's they're just such an admirable team. But Galway have, you know, when Galway are tuned in, I think that, you know, we were talking last Monday about maybe this being the kick up the arse that Galway needed. I mean, I don't think there was any doubt about that. I mean, it was obvious to see the Galway forwards working in the way that they worked last year, uh, yesterday. You know, the comparison over the course of the seven days, it couldn't have been any more stark. I mean, within five minutes, the goal forwards were winning turnovers, pushing Kilkenny lads out over the end line for sideline balls. Uh, it just, that was it. I think goal are dialed in now for the year as well, I think. We're going to do it. I heard Henry Shefflin, I didn't hear him say, I read mm. his Sunday Times column and he said that Galway, this before the game, might have been suffering a little bit for the comparisons being made with his Kilkenny team when they were at mm. their peak, which he says is ridiculous. His Kilkenny team won four in a row. This team, this Galway team has won one on Ireland. And he, he wasn't saying the players are making these comparisons, obviously, mm. but that it, it is, um, you know, it, it has been said about them, this could be this great team. And maybe that has been weighing on them, but I suppose they've, they've cast off those sh- those kind of pressures a little bit by that result. Yeah, a little. Um, well, maybe not, I suppose, because if they what am I talking about? They're obviously adding to that kind of pressure if they're yeah. going to rampage through an unbeaten campaign. Yeah, I, you know, the, the the comparison, it's easier to make the comparison with this Goldberg team maybe than the Tipperary teams because Tipperary have their own tradition. You know, the, Tipperary will be matched against the other Tipperary great, teams. You know, yeah. Whereas with Galway, it's like they play exactly like Kilkenny did in the in the heyday. You know, it's like quite a... Uh, there's a lot of machismo to how Galway play hurling. You know, that when they're dialed in, it's like come and have a go kind of thing <laughs> and also like Jordan Pickford after saving shots and roaring at his defenders that kind of well look. yeah but just imagine Jordan Pickford picking up the striker who had uh, uh, hit the shot by the nape <laughs> of the neck and throwing him bodily 10 yards I outside of his penalty area yeah. like I, th- there is a big element of that and like that's what's so enjoyable watching them you know that like 
they do really throw the shackles off and ask a lot of questions of the teams that they play against when they're at their best. So it's only natural that that is the team that they're compared to because, you know, it was at the in the crucible of multiple defeats to that Kilkenny team that this team was born. So uh, it's only natural that that's how they play the game and that's how they, you know, if if they look at a at an ideal, it's Kilkenny is the ideal. Like that's what they're aiming for. Now, and maybe they don't call it that themselves. I'm sure they say the ideal is, you know, the last the first twenty minutes yesterday, the last ten minutes yesterday. That's the bar that Galway set themselves now. But that bar is up that high because of all the defeats that they had to Kilkenny in the past. So the fact that Galway didn't beat Kilkenny on the way to the Ireland last year, it's the sort of thing that never gets mentioned in September of the year that it's won. But by November or okay. December, people are kind of saying it. And that has its own pressure. And the fact that they kind of not wilted under the pressure, but they didn't win that game last week. I mean, that was kind of all the motivation they needed, but it was very, very impressive. They're out on their own again, you know, uh, in respect of sort of the, the rankings going into it. Like, we're down to the last six now. I think Galway are the, the class of the field again, having having watched that yesterday. We have our two groups now for the Super 8s. Group 1 is Galway, Kerry, Kildare, Monaghan. In Group 2, it's Dublin, Donegal, Roscommon and Tyrone. Oshin, welcome. Owen, how's form? That's pretty good. Michael Foley, the Sunday Times, is with us this week. Hello there, Michael. Lads, how are you doing? We're good, yeah. It's uh, shaping up nicely. I suppose outside of Mayo, you couldn't really complain here. It's pretty much the eight best teams around, Oshin. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I think everybody could have picked at least six of them beforehand. Um, some of them have had um, fairly handy run throughs to run uh, run through to the to these to the super eights. Um, others slightly more difficult, um, and it'll just be interesting over the next couple of weeks to see. You know, we've talked about over the years how easy it was for you know Kerry to get to a quarter final, um, and you know whether that stands them or not. So we will find a little bit out about uh, both of those theories um, this week. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, you know, the likes of Kildare, it's hard to say Monon have had a hard route. I mean, they've played Waterford, um, Leitrim and, and Leash. Um, you know, Donegal probably, you know, they've been through the mill a little bit. Um, yeah, they're Tyrone maybe, although they had basically a challenge match the weekend. So, yeah, there's only a couple of teams really in there who you could say benefited, you know, from a bit of momentum like Kildare. So it'll just be interesting to see how they do over the next couple of weeks. But some crack matches. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose we shouldn't be that surprised that the league is as accurate a barometer as it was. I mean if you take into account the eight teams that started in Division One this year and the two teams that went up, uh be, they, those two being Ross Common and Cavan, basically Cavan and Mayo lost out and that's the other eight. So we we yeah. shouldn't be surprised by that really. Not really, and do you know what? It even maybe gives you an idea of the gulf now that's appearing, even between, you know, the middle of Division Two and and Division One. You know, and from the middle of Division Two down, you know, um, how poor things really are. Uh, that was really highlighted, I think, at the weekend as well. What are you looking forward to there, Murph, in terms of the next few weeks? Well, it, like the novelty factor starts next week with Kerry Goldwick, Kildare Monaghan, Dublin Donegal, Roscommon Toronto. They're the four games. But it's the following week really. Dublin going to Oma, Kerry going to Clonus. I mean that's what this whole thing is all about. That's why Kerry going to Clonus is just for me is brilliant. I just hope some people come up from Kerry to actually go to Clonus and experience Clonus and experience that whole uh, day out. 
regardless, there'll be a massive crowd there. There'll be a huge crowd of uh, of neutrals from Ulster. They'll go to see because they'll want to see Kerry and they'll want to see this new uh, Kerry team in the flesh. Uh, that for me. I'm excited about Tyrone and Dublin because it takes Dublin slightly as you know out of their comfort zone, um, but it just I just at the end of it I just don't think that that Tyrone are good enough. But Monaghan, but Kerry going to Monaghan I think is slightly different. Mm. I think um, Monaghan are well fit for Kerry and and playing them in Clonus will suit them big time. And again, I don't think there'll be a huge amount. I hope I'm wrong. I hope. You know, Kerry are are, are um, supported in huge numbers in Clonus, and as I say, go and have that experience. But those two in particular, are, you know, definitely whet the appetite. Yeah, no, you look very excited. All right, Michael, I'm going to start you off on a downer here. Oshin described the the Tyrone game as essentially a challenge match against Cork, which is pretty withering. Would Cork have any defence to that though? Very kind, actually. <laughs> <laughs> It was kind of it was kind of more like one team going around another bunch of red and white traffic cones for seventy minutes. It was um, it looked I, I was even thinking about it like I I, I kind of find myself um, you know going going through this process every year you know you know um, kind of why are Cork the way they are you know um, it was just terrible on on Saturday and I think what probably insofar as Cork people were bothered at all in the first place that has to be stated. Um, if anything bothered them, it was probably the fact that, like, you know, you'd expect any team to react um, in some kind of positive way to taking the worst beating in 80 years against your greatest rivals. But what actually transpired was a performance that was actually worse in every possible way, apart from the scoreline, which was the, the losing margin was a point better than what they managed against uh, Kerry. But other than that, it was just from the word go, literally from the word go, there was just it was just uh there was no doubt who was going to win, and the only, the only, the only thing that got in Thrones' way was themselves because they kind of fell asleep halfway through the second, halfway through the first half, excuse me, and um, they kind of did as Tyrone always do. I thought, like to me, Tyrone are a real sort of, they're a seven out of ten team, you know, that occasionally get to eight, occasionally drop to six, rarely get to nine, which is why they don't, which why they don't aren't winning all Ireland and won't win in all Ireland. But I mean, they didn't really have to do a whole pile. The last, you know, only, only kind of, you know, just go through the motions and kind of, you know, once they realised in the second half, it was like they kind of went in the halftime and realised these guys are terrible. So we can just, we, we just go and do. We're going to loosen up actually a little bit, and uh, we, we just go at it. But like, I mean, it was what Oshin was saying there. Like, I mean, the gap now between the, we say the, the bottom half of Division Two, let's say, which is where Cork are. I mean, they barely avoided going down to Division Three this year. Which is where Cork are, and you look at them. You look at them then coming up against Kerry and Tyrone, conditioning-wise, uh, the speed they play the game at, um, even like then going up against Tyrone. I don't. I'm. I, I'm not even sure when's the last time Cork would have played a team that would set up like Tyrone. And it doesn't matter how many times you try and replicate it in training. You don't have a hope of actually experiencing it until you actually go into it. And I mean, what you had for the first 20 minutes was Cork running down the middle into cul-de-sacs. Um, presumably going into the cul-de-sacs deliberately and trying to, you know, the idea would be, I suppose, to pop the ball off the shoulder or whatever. But, I mean, the support wasn't there. They weren't playing at the pace that that would be required. And they weren't sticking it to Tyrone the way you'd have to stick it to Tyrone to have any hope of, of, of getting any change out of them. So, yeah, it was sort of all in all. It was, you know, probably, probably, the, probably the worst. I'd say it's probably the worst Cork performance I've ever seen, I think. And yeah. it's just fair competition for that now, but I think it would certainly be down there. And I, I, I'd imagine, you know, 
sometimes when you you know when you come off the back of a defeat like that, you're kind of going, you know what? There's no point in criticizing players, no point in criticizing management, uh, you know. But they know themselves, you know. They know themselves, and I mean, I'd say if they heard anything other than, you know, you know, this is Cork are very very close to the absolute bottom. I mean, it's been 80 years since they took a beating like that from Kerry, and you know they're 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 flirted with Division Three. This this spring they're at an extremely low ebb. I I can't remember the last time they're at such a low ebb. And even historically speaking, I'd, I'd say you'd go you're going back a long, long, long time to find Cork at such a low ebb. Yeah, I mean, if this was one generation of footballers, say you know a group of seven or eight lads from uh, like of the same age who had been persevered with for six or seven years, you might be able to say, right, well, fair enough. You got to get rid of them, get new manager in, start again. But it kind of seems like. The age profile of this team is kind of general, you know, like there there are young players on it going right up to the lads into their 30s. Like the disease is across all ages and all spectrums. This is not like a cabal of guys that you need to get rid of. It's it's a general malaise that infects anyone who wears the Cork football jersey. It's systemic. It's institutional. It's cultural. It goes right down to the very basic, like, what are we trying to do with our under-12s or our under-10s? You know what I mean? That kind of stuff. Yeah. It's like, it's in, in some ways, it's, it's an extremely boring conversation because it's, the devil is in the minute here, you know? It's in sort of, okay, we have development squads. I'm, I'm saying we, I mean Cork, obviously. Cork have development squads. They're going very, very well. But are they producing players that are ready to step up into senior level? I mean, you look at Dublin in particular, um, and I know Dublin are, said their minors now aren't possibly as strong as they were a few years back. But you know, if, if you look at Dublin and Kerry a bunch of years back, they were producing players that were walking off of under twenty one teams and walking onto senior teams. Kerry have done it this year. Cork are not doing that, and one of the reasons for that is that Cork is such a huge county. At minor level and underage level, you have a huge number of footballers to pick from. Um, people say it's a hurling county. It is a hurling county. It's very true. And there's a there's a kind of a cultural bias there towards hurling anyway, which is natural. And, and you know, it's just the way it is. But there is a huge number of players to pick from at underage level. But the problem there is that they're down the years they've picked big, strong teams. I mean, you ask an awful lot of Kerry players who have gone on to win senior all Ireland, and they'll tell you that the, the Cork underage teams they, they met, they were men mountains, they were giants like, you know, and, you know, at underage, at any level, it's, you know, if you've got a bit of size on your side, it takes you an awful long way. Um, Cork haven't won a whole pile of All-Ireland underage titles, they've won an awful lot of Munster ones, so what tended to happen was that you win these underage titles and everybody goes, oh, Jesus, Cork have won however many, seven Munster titles out of the last ten, they're going to really push it to Kerry. Problem is that Kerry were, Kerry have a smaller picket underage, but they're, they have the skill set. They're working on the skill sets the whole time. They allow guys to develop. And most crucially of all, if you're an underage player in Kerry, you don't win a minor or an under-21, certainly up to the, up before the last four years. It did. It wasn't the end of the world, like because you knew if you just kept going, if you got into a senior setup, it's a totally different ballgame, totally different kind of belief setup, everything, right? Whereas with Cork, it's different. Winning a minor or an under-21 All-Ireland might be the best thing you do. I mean, they've only won, what is it, seven All-Irelands altogether or something like that? So, like, you know, there's no guarantee that when you go up to the senior level that, that you're going to get that, you know, there's not the there's not the pull to keep you going. And particularly, again, at underage level, you have an awful lot of guys who'd be very good footballers and hurlers. And 
you know, for better or worse, there's only one choice when you get up to senior level. If you've got the choice, re- realistically, it, you're going to take the hurling if you think you've got a chance of making progress. So the problem for them now is they have to come up with a long-term plan, I think, or, or at least look at their long-term plans and try and refine them in such a way that they start to develop players that are ready to walk into senior teams now. Because that's what's happening at all the other elite counties. Guys are just walking into senior teams and they look ready when they hit it. And in the short term, they need to sort out the senior team in such a way that they at least become as competitive as they should be and it gives young lads an option because at the moment I mean I made a point I just made a passing remark on Twitter the other night that I think Cork have bottomed out now and quite rightly a few guys said what do you mean what's bottomed out like I mean they said look at Derry Leash gone down to Division 4 what can happen to counties and what can happen to teams and Cork is staring at the face now and I mean they have been staring at the face for quite a while but now they're really seeing it and if they don't grab a hold of it in whatever way they possibly can um, they're going to be in. They're going to be in right trouble. I mean, this is right now is bad, but can, it can get worse. And I think they need to realise that. And I think, they, in fairness, I think the senior management and the, the guys at that level do realise that. But I think everybody, every stakeholder in car football needs to realise that. Okay. Yeah, I just it's just a pity it wasn't thirty or forty points, and it could realistically have been that. And the reason for that is that I think that would have been, you know, um, that would have hit everybody between the eyeballs even a little bit more. Uh, I think. There's, uh, we've been talking about it for a number of years now, and and it's actually it's actually got the stage now where it's sad that nobody has felt it important enough to stand up within that county. I don't care if you're a former player, if you're a former manager, if you're a parent, if you're a member of the county board, just stand up and say, "Whoa, enough is enough." Kerry did it a number of years ago. On uh, for for all like Cavan aren't going to win all Irons, but they did it. You know they've turned the things. They've uh, turned things around. Um, you know, even in the likes of small counties like Glouth, who are you know who are doing unbelievable work at underage. Okay, it mightn't be coming to fruition as yet at senior level, but at least somebody said, "Off, oh, hold on a second, lads, stop. Let's look at exactly what's happening and let's start to build a base for." Five, six, seven, ten years down the line. I mean, but presumably there are people no, in the yeah, county thinking that they're doing I the right I thing. I actually don't know. Go on. I don't know if there is because, like, this is this is something which now, like, when when Cork won the All Air in two thousand and ten, they should have dominated. They should have dominated for the next at least two to three years, and then maybe a little bit of a fall off, and then maybe for them to come again because you can't keep dominating. Okay, but. That didn't happen. It was like the one two thousand and ten, and it's like they they have fallen away steadily since that, and now that steady that steady uh, fall away has become dramatic. And like Saturday was like for anybody who who is who knows anything about the history of Cork football and grew up watching them or anything else, even seen that team and the, and the power that they had in two thousand and ten to watch what they produced at the weekend is. It's fucking. It's it's actually ridiculous, and not only is it ridiculous, it's embarrassing. I I said at the weekend that I feel as if they've lost respect for themselves. Like I, I don't think you know anybody coming on. Like I know this sounds ridiculous, on but even to throw a slap at somebody on Saturday and and show your frustration and show how annoyed you are and. But again, Maybe that's it, not it, the it, way to show up. Again, is this the overly emotive thing that comes out every year? We have this conversation every year where Cork. It always seems to be when Cork lose big lose games by wide margins, it's because they don't care and because they're not showing the passion. Anyway, other this, other teams lose matches, and it's kind of, it seems to be a less 
personalised is the wrong word, but you know, their their manlyhood and all that kind of stuff isn't questioned as much in other counties as it seems. I to be will say this, Sorry. right? That whatever about uh, giving out about managers or you know, this is the style of play that we want to play, and it, it wasn't you know for whatever reason there was a malfunction at that level. Cork players were five yards off their in the full back line. They were five yards off their men. All the time, <laughs> like for the whole game, like that's not anything. Like that's nothing to do with anything. Like that's just if you're playing junior A football, it's like if, you, if 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 you do that, you get taken off because it's you you just don't understand a basic principle of the game. And like that's you, if you're looking at that, that's why it's frustrating in a way that you know Fermanagh losing to Kildare, or I, I I know the counties that you're talking about, counties that you would think are on a level, but like Meath went out, like Meath are no good. You don't really like me. They're like are in the bottom half of Division Two, but like they played against Tyrone and tried and nearly beat them, and like that's the that's the like, we're not asking Cork to be like Kerry. We are asking Cork to be a bit like Meath, though. I agree with you on the, the problem. Cork, the problem. Actually, the problem. Second, Mike, I just said the problem runs. The problem runs deeper than just having a go at players. That's that day is that that day is long gone. Of just like when I say. Uh, Losing respect, losing respect as a county that nobody has stood up in that interim period and said, "Whoa, lads, hold on a second, let's take a step back and see exactly where we're going." If we're not going to be competitive for the next number of years, then we're not going to be competitive. But at least let's get a panel of players together, whether they be young or whether they be a mixture of what they have now. Let's get them together and let's look at you know a pathway to at least being. Um, competitive within the next number of years. So you're definitely right. It runs deeper than just having a go at players or having a go at management. I mean, Ronan McCarthy said after the game at the weekend, which is the first time I've heard this, that there's going to have to be a completely different approach. Why somebody didn't say that, you know, six, seven, eight years ago is is totally beyond me. I said there's a la- I thought there was a lack of ambition by their appointments over the last number of years. Okay. But they need somebody from outside the county who to, who needs even take somebody across the border from Kerry, and let these guys know what it takes to be to prepare as an intercounty team, and what it takes to get to the level that the top teams are at. Because surely the gods, the structures, and the finance and all that stuff must be in place, or or should be easily enough put in place if somebody has the drive within Cork. Michael, last quick word on this. Yeah, <laughs> so much there. If it could be I quick. Mean, just a, ver- a few very quick things. Like, I mean, they did revamp the structures a bunch of years back at Underage for the Rebel Oak thing, and they do have development squads and so on and so forth. And they have managed to bring back a lot of that 2010 group into that mix, kind of coaching teams and stuff like that. Um, you know, you're right. Like, I mean, you know, there's no point in just lashing at the management of the players or whatever. The strength and conditioning issue is a huge thing with Cork. I mean, you go back three or four years, their levels were extremely mm-hmm. poor compared to, like, you look at the numbers extremely poor compared to other teams and the problem when you're changing management the whole time they're bringing in new strength and conditioning people there's no continuity so we say at the very top level never mind the bottom levels you're not getting that continuity through so guys are starting from scratch every year there wouldn't be I mean in most senior inter-county setups guys would continue training on through the winter that hasn't always been the case in Cork they stop and they start again in January you're going over with that on the bit just in relation to the Ronan McCarthy comment the other day I think it's fair to say that there's going to be some serious personnel changes there. Um, I think also, you, no doubt about it, I mean, you, you, you talk about guys didn't look like they were trying. I think there there is a cohort of players there who have just reached the end of the road, either physically, mentally, whatever it is. And uh, But look, he's got two more years. I'd say he was making his plans five minutes into the second half of the Munster final. 
you know, for next year. And look, he he deserves a crack, but this thing is so there's there's no one place to go to blame. It's it's systemic. It's from top to bottom, and uh, it's going to take it's going to take a long time to fix. But they don't have that time all at the, all at the same time, you know. Yeah, the most notable scoreline elsewhere. If you can all take a deep breath here, is mm-hmm. probably you ready. Ross Common against Armagh. Nice open game of football. Everybody comes out of it with credit, Oisín. There's, there's no, no questions about any of that. But did Armagh make it in some ways a little bit too easy for Ross Common to play that football? Yeah, the, uh, the one thing, and you know, I keep banging on about it, was the, was the kickouts. Uh, I don't think Armagh deliberately give up the kickouts. I just think you know it was difficult for them uh, f- uh, marking five and six and, and six and seven, and uh, they give. Roscommon a bit of a platform into the game and Roscommon early on looked as if uh, they were going to find it tough to play against this Armagh team um, and we would I look at them, I'm disappointed and at the same time sort of buoyed and not 100% sure of my heart of hearts if I wanted to be in the Super Race yeah. um, well, Why? Just, I, I just the strength of the opposition in there? The strength of the opposition and we took a serious pound in, in the quarterfinal last year. Everybody, as you say, has come out of this game with a little bit of credit. There's no backbiting. Everybody is on the player's side, is on geezer's side. If that gives us the opportunity to build, we have about at least eight, nine, maybe even ten players who are going to come into that panel next year and make a serious difference. We probably won't lose that many. Maybe Brandy, Brandon Donaghy. So... Uh, yeah, so I got I loved. I don't know if you heard Geezer's. If you want it, please. Geezer's quote. Yeah, so Ryan McShane, Jemar Hall, Paddy Burns, Connor Mackin. They've had unbelievable years and came from nowhere. They were able to hold their own and look like some of the best players in the. Give park. me the paper. I'll give you the proper <laughs> quote. The proper quote was. I, I, uh, I did think that seemed a little bit bland. <laughs> that was the big pool quote. <laughs> um, I thought Oshin's easily impressed by Geezer's post match. McGinney's parting summer shot was aimed at negative voices that have been in players' ears bemoaning the merits of playing inter-county football. At times you listen to a lot of shit, he said, uh, usually from people who haven't a clue, said Geezer. They sit outside and they pontificate. I played against a lot of these fellas and they were fucking useless back then and they're still fucking useless. <laughs> That's a better have a great Have a great summer, here. I, enjoy- <laughs> I enjoyed that. <laughs> I have to say, but look at it, as I say, it's pretty positive for Armagh. I don't think it would have ended as positive had we gone into that group in the Super 8. So um, it's probably as much as we could have hoped for. We're, pl- we're playing Division 2 football, so this th- there's something in this team. There's something in this team, and, and it is building for the next number of years. And hopefully, you know, Super 8 is realistic next year with a big push on to maybe cause a few upsets as well. Yeah, and Mick, just a quick word about Kildare and Monaghan as well. Uh, I'd say a lot of people probably feared for Kildare, uh, given the given the fact that you know all the excitement of the Mayo and Newbridge and all the rest of that. But they, it does kind of seem like they're a revolutionised team all of a sudden. That they have actually managed to. Uh, all it needed was like the spark of the one game, and all the. They, they they seem like a team now that can turn all those one point defeats into maybe one point wins. I don't know how many wins they're going to get in the Super Eight, but they look ready for it. Well, we'll see you now when the <laughs> when the heat really comes on against teams that are feeling the same way as them in that yeah. regard, you know. Yeah, but yeah. look at they all they're big strong men. They've got they've always had it's a funny thing with Kildare, people always give out about the wides, but individually they have nice forwards, you know? It's kinda like it's just when it's sometimes I think with Kildare it's, it's when the what I just said there, when the heat comes on against a serious team, they tend to make bad choices. And they kinda they've got a bit of momentum, a bit of confidence behind them now. 
Um, they'll have Monaghan above in Crow Park, which I'd, I'd say they'll be right ready for. And if I'm right, I think they have Galway at home after that. They have Galway at home next. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. They won't mind, yeah, they won't mind getting Galway in Newbridge either. And, you know, they'll kind of, you know, revive the spirit of the Mayo game and all that kind of carry on. I think they'll, you know what, they're the kind of crowd that could get an awful lot out of this. Um, they're, you know, a young team, as I said, they're physically well got. They've got some nice ball players. They're going to get three matches now. Um, two of them are very winnable. I don't think they can win below and Kerry or below and Killarney against Kerry in the last game. But you look at if they win and it's all on. It's, I think in this thing, it's all going to be on the first game for a lot of these kind of qualifier teams. If you win your first game in this quarterfinal thing, you really set yourself up for something. So that Kildare Monaghan game next week now is going to be a dinger because whoever loses that are kindest. Well, maybe not staring down the barrel, but it's going to be it's it's going to be difficult for them. It's going to be difficult for them, which is actually in a way it's kind of nice that they'll have the second game at home because that'll give them a bit of encouragement even if they do lose the first game. Do you know that kind of way? But, I mean, they'll all be gunning to win the first game and really set themselves up maybe to, to squeeze into that second spot. I think there's a good chance if Kildare lose the first game that they could be looking at the wooden spoon. And it'll just be interesting to mm. see. We talked about different sides of the draw in the World Cup. Coming towards the end, if Kerry are placed second in that and Dublin possibly first I think we're looking at Dublin Kerry uh, Galway Donegal mm-hmm. semi-finals yep well mm-hmm. I'd take that <laughs> take that right. heartbeat Oshim we've all been wrestling just lastly with the big question this week do we want England to win the World Cup I think you'd be a good man to offer your thoughts on it um, do, I, does Oshim McConville cheering on the three lines um, well, I, I, st- I started um, hoping that they would go out at the group stage then I found myself halfway through the Colombian game wanting them to win. Right. But since that, I've, I think I've, I've definitely... <laughs> regressing your thinking. So basically, yeah, so I've basically about 45 I've minutes worth of I've support. De- I've, yeah, I've definitely gone the other way. <laughs> yeah. Ocean, brilliant stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers. And Michael Foley, thank you. No bother. He's stealing yards. He's stealing yards. He needs to get back. Get back. Who's going to be the man? See who Good score, Paddy! Kerry about 50 metres out. Oh, oh, this is heartbreaking. It's a free from Kerry right in the middle of the pitch. He's after taking, he should be going back further. He has stolen a yard or two. Watch him. Yeah. He's stealing yards. He's stealing yards. He needs to get back. Get back. We played five minutes, which has been a lot of injury time. Kerry 214. Mayo 214. Kerry to win it with Brian Sheehan. Sheehan. He oh, goes, go wide. Keep going wide. Go wide. Go wide. It's all over. We're oh, going to have to do right, it all over right. again. What a what game. What an absolute thriller. And credit to both sets of players. Credit to them for the effort they gave, for the passion they put into it, for the football they played, 
for the actual sportsmanship that was there, for the actual scores that they got. That game had everything that you want to see except a Mayo win. Okay, so what is the story with the first weekend of the Super 8s then, Murph? I've given the groups out, but who's playing who? Yeah. First weekend. What's the, on TV? Uh, How do I watch all this? Yeah, well, they're all on TV, on. Uh, Roscommon Tyrone is on Sky at 5pm on Saturday, followed by Dublin against Donegal, which is on RTE. And then on Sunday, it's Kildare against Monaghan at 2 o'clock on Sky, and then Kerry against Galway. 4pm, RTE. RTE won, probably, because the World Cup acting final is also on at the same time. So they have ended up putting it up yes. against the World Cup final. Yeah, there are also two hurling games. The hurling quarterfinals are on at 3pm on Saturday, Clare against Wexford in Porky Cueve. Uh, that's at 3pm on RTE. And then on on Sunday, it's Kilkenny against Limerick in Thurless at 2pm on RTE, which means that they're in direct opposition with the live game on Sky, that being Kildare against Monaghan, in the Super 8. And I think that's the first time it's ever actually happened. Really? Now, it's certainly the first time it's ever happened where, without taking into account extra time or a replay. But uh, yeah, so there's a direct scheduling uh, uh, clash clash there between Sky and RT. So there's two different uh, GA games on the two different rights right holding uh, right ho- rights holders uh, at two p.m. on Sunday. But six live games over the course of two days. It's not bad going. Lovely and all super high quality. So it should be good. We look forward to seeing you World Service members tomorrow on World Cup semi final day. France against Belgium is first up, and then it's England Croatia on Wednesday. Now seems a pretty good time to sign up and become a member if you aren't there already. You can have a look on secondcaptains.com. Thanks very much, Kieran. Thanks, Owen. Thanks for listening. Talk to you tomorrow. Can't wait. What's going on? Is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.